Great. Welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I did a bunch of research for this one. I've been following you for not too long, a couple of weeks now, but really enjoyed everything I've seen so far. So I'm really excited that we're sitting down and doing this. Yeah. Thanks, Lewis. Excited to be here and chat with you today. Hell yeah. So I saw somewhere, right? Father, four kids. You've been running Zen Pilot for coming up on 10 years. I'm kind of curious what the beginnings of your entrepreneurial career were, because right, you've been very dedicated to the agency space, right? Eight years ago was well before my entrepreneurial career even started. So I'm kind of curious, like where you started out in kind of post-college or kind of after 18 type time in your life. And maybe if there's a thread to how that all leads to now, I'm curious. What did you think about entrepreneurs growing up? Did you know many of them? I did in an interesting way. So my father is a casino host. So a lot of his clients are successful business people. Right. And so I kind of grew up around to them. I didn't necessarily like do structured interviews like this to like understand what they did. I just uh, knew that they led. I was, I had a lot of unconventional people in my life with unconventional lifestyles that seemed to also have lots of money. Yeah. Kind of growing up in Vegas. So it's interesting. But I only ever saw them in vacation mode. Right. I never saw them working because that's not the most accurate picture. It's like, who are these people who who never work and have a bunch of money? But it's probably just like, I was seeing them on weekends on their vacations. That's, uh, it's it's really interesting how the perspectives of any career can shape us as we grow up. But I grew up seeing a lot of uh, like blue collar industry, you know, like contractors or, um, you know, all, all kinds of companies in that vein. And most of the business owners that I knew were the guys who were missing their kids' baseball games or you know, marriages fell apart or kids were like running crazy. There were a lot of things that were not things that I admired. And so going to college, I was like, I don't want to, I love business. Business is really interesting to me. I want to study business, but I don't want to be an entrepreneur. And then four years of college kind of worked that out of me to the point where I was a lot more pro entrepreneurship. And so we, uh, kind of a long backstory to it, but did a bunch of marketing throughout college and started a marketing agency, uh, I guess, February of our senior year. So 2011, beginning of 2011, my business partner, Andrew and I, getting to graduation and we were both kind of like, hey, we would probably learn a ton if we just launched a business and it'll probably fail, but let's run it for a year and take these skill sets. I did a lot of web development and web hosting and he did um, social media stuff. NPR. And so we uh, launched an agency, survived for a year, and we're really into the HubSpot ecosystem and then built that agency and had some success. And that was kind of the, the original launch. The idea was, I mean, it's not a unique idea at all to start an agency, but the idea behind the idea was kind of we whatever the work is, probably what will be most impactful long term is actually who we work with. And we are great friends. We both have a lot of respect for each other's families. <laughs> We've got shared values. So how can we uh, kind of keep the business going uh, to get keep keep this journey going together? And it'll probably fail, but we'll learn a ton and then we'll we'll go from there. And it wound up not failing. So it's cool, cool kind of intro to the to the space. Absolutely, and you uh, stayed in the agency space very closely ever since. I guess. Yeah, for sure. That. I mean, growing that first agency called Guava Box, you're unprepared in the agency journey anytime you start out for just a series of obstacles that it is. How can you sell something? Then how can you figure out how to go deliver it? Then how can you figure out how to sell it at scale and then deliver it at scale? And that delivering it at scale piece 
was the big the big challenge. So we built our own project management software to try to make that easier, then spun that out to other agencies. And that wound up being the roots of what turned into Zenpilot today. At what point did you stop also servicing clients in a marketing capacity? It's a good question. So we moved as the software started to really gain traction. This is like early 2015. We made a classic mistake and we took basically all the best people from the agency and we ported them over to the software um, side to grow and support. That company was a company called Do Inbound at the time. And um, so that was where a ton of the marketing agency work kind of slowed down and we slowly shuttered it over the next couple of years. That makes sense. Yeah, one of the the podcasts I've kind of dug up and listened to when I was researching for this was how to profit and productize and spin out the things that you develop while running your agency and make that a standalone thing. And it's funny, you know, that episode was from maybe 2018 or 2019. And you still to this day, right? I'm looking over here in the corner of my screen, June of 2023, I always have to remind myself, are still kind of outlining a lot of the same thinking that you were outlining in that episode. So it was kind of cool to see this, this consistency over time, uh, where one, the story of the agency or not the agency or whatever you characterize Zenpilot as, but the business yeah. you run today yeah. is an internal tool of an agency spun out that became a better business model than running the agency itself. And then as well, kind of what you're saying about the series of obstacles that you have to go through in the process of building a business, right? It's like you first have to understand how to get people to want to buy something from you and then how to do that profitably and then how to scale that effectively. That's exactly how you also described the process of like discovering assets within your business, right? Then you have to learn the skill of finding things of value, spinning out those things of value, using the resources you have in a productive way to get this to market, et cetera. So it's cool to see all this consistency between all of these different things just this quickly into the conversation. Yeah, I think there is a lot of, uh, there's a lot of that same stuff. I think the piece that people should not learn from looking at our story is how to keep the old thing going when you move to the next thing. So, yeah, the best move in retrospect was probably not taking shutting down a, a profitable agency that we'd taken you know a couple million dollars from to bootstrap the the software and get the software. Whereas we should just kept that business going and hired other people, found an operator. So, yeah, and then kind of the same thing. I think our strategic mistake with do inbound, even though that grew and did okay. You know, we were a little over 500 customer paying customers, which were agencies using the tool. So a couple thousand users inside the platform. When we, when we um, decided to pivot into the training consulting business that we have today, which looks a lot like an agency, I call it training consulting because um, there, there's some distinctions, but it looks really similar to an agency. But that software in retrospect, we were trying to bootstrap in the most competitive software category, project management, mm -hmm. uh, in a super tech forward industry, in marketing agencies who wanna be on the cutting edge of everything. And that recipe doesn't really make sense. I think we could have done project management for construction companies or for banks or some, you know, another industry that's not as tech forward and probably been just fine with that approach. But we should have raised money or done something to, to spin that off, probably in retrospect. Like if I was going to go back and do it all over again, which hopefully at some point, that's the cool thing about life is there's a lot of opportunities to go do it again. I would not kill the kind of the thing that the byproduct spun out of. Uh, at the same time, prematurely is yeah. get, to go, get to go do it. So it's not, a, it's not like a point of frustration, but just to point out for people, I think, who are looking at, hey, what, how can we spin off byproducts? 
we've got this cool thing that we've built that could probably be its own product and other people would pay for it. Um, that's great. And there's cases where shutting down the maintenance Slack is a great example. Basecamp's an example. Teamwork.com is an example. There's a ton of these examples where people have uh, just kind of killed the old thing and gone all in on the new one. But I think more often than not, it's, hey, can we, can you keep kind of both things alive? Keep the thing that you had working well, working well, if it is, and build a new thing at the same time um, would probably be a lesson I'd, I'd take forward. Yeah, I think to, to your credit, a lot of what might be informing that opinion present day is how much you've learned probably since then about agency operations and making them lean, right? Because now it's like for you to operationalize that business into a thing that can survive without you is something you've done, I don't know, 2,600 times, 3,000 times. So you're like, oh, it's so straightforward to like- It would have been easy take, to risk. Yeah, versus set, like right. with today's skill set, just like keeping that active versus kind of at the time, all the things you didn't quite know yet to probably yeah. run like a less, less tight ship while also launching it and right, just way fewer experiences than you have now. Uh, so it's kind of like as a second time founder or whatever time you are, right? As yep. an nth time who's made 3,000 agencies run easily, I would for sure keep that agency still running easily. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. Uh, yeah, so it's probably unfair to look back on some experiences with today's lens of, oh, that would have been easy to keep it running. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, where it's it's funny listening to you in the sense of like how many of those things are directly applicable to the decisions we're going through. I mean, we're telling you uh, on our kind of previous connection we were having where we have the analytics agency going quite well, but we now have the kind of AI enablement that's really exciting and going well as well. And so it's like, you know, do we shut the thing down, do go all in on the on the new thing with the as well? And then kind of a lot of the same decisions about like, well, do we want to raise money here? Or basically, there's no reason to compete with the behemoths as like a bootstrap team in terms of like actual genuine AI research and like groundbreaking AI services. It's like the only way to attack that market is either raise as much money as everyone else so you can compete in terms of like speed and feature sets and feature parity to like actually be competitive at scale. Or it's just like go for the wedge or kind of, yeah, the, the niche and uh, competitor of a specific vertical. And so really that's more about like having distribution as your advantage. Or it's like, just stick to like being cutting edge and just doing a B2B service. And that's kind of the opinion I'm sort of on right now on the team. I'm like, I think the B2B service has a lot of room to go. We just are always cutting edge and always helping people use whatever exists that is best. That, which is kind of what y'all are doing, right? It's like, you're never going to raise as much money as ClickUp. And I mean, they're, I don't even know how much money they've raised, a lot of money. It's like, why compete with ClickUp? It's just like, yep. do, do what you're doing and help everyone use the best thing on, on, on the marketplace. Yeah. I think at the time when we when we pivoted out of Guava Box, when we pivoted out of Do Inbound, you know, we didn't have like the one big win under our belt yet. It wasn't at a point where it was like, hey, we're kind of financially free and we're good to go do whatever. Where today I think that would look differently because we've we've run this business in a highly profitable way for long enough that you know, totally fine if uh this business or the next business failed, where I think that that would probably influence my thinking today. I'm a relatively risk averse person too. So everyone's risk profile looks different. Some people are totally fine. Like, yeah, we'll, we'll shut everything down. We'll go all in on one thing. And yeah, there's cases where that works out well. But I think some of that probably looks different too, at just at different stages of life. And I think the stereotype is, hey, we're super risky when we're young and then we get less and less risk tolerant over time. I feel like at least in my personal journey, I'm kind of going the opposite where like I was more, even though starting a business out of college was pretty risky. I feel like my risk tolerance has gone up 
farther along just because, you know, there's kind of, there's more chips off the table. Like this is a pretty, we're fine whether this works or doesn't work um, long-term. So yeah, I think that probably factors into the, the psychology of how you make that decision too. Yeah. I think it's also an evolving definition of risk as you mature, right? It's, it's like, if you're confident in your skill set to make money again, because of all the things you have now, it's yeah. like the risk is less risky than someone who doesn't know how they would make money again if this thing didn't work out. For sure. It's all, all the, the improvements of skills over time, for sure, is something a lot of people don't acknowledge. Do you, how are you, like, who are the voices who are helping you work through that decision right now in terms of what to do next? One is the market. <laughs> in terms of like what's working. So that's that's the voice number one is like the market, the CRM, the pipeline analytics. And then in terms of, I mean, that's the big one really is like that. And then also, so our AI person on our team, Ethan, uh, he's really the one listening to like, you know, sending the digest of like, this just happened. OpenAI just released X and all these things that were a differentiator last week, right, are like standard features now. And I'm kind of like, that's the point. So like, he's the one actually listening to like kind of, forming if we were to go for like a bigger AI startup play, like the vision as to what that would be and like what the actual wedge would be. And then I don't say I don't say we have like a specific main mentor in terms of like overall guiding business direction. I I really don't think there's like a clear answer to that. I think that we have not so up until this point we were when we still are part of client ascension, which I told you is like a really good mastermind. And kind of, we still are like approaching the point of having finished the last set of goals. And we, we try to like, maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this isn't a good thing, but like, unless you have undeniably good reason to change direction, like it is good to see through the goals you set before picking new goals. And we're like very, very close to seeing through kind of the initial goals we set out in terms of like MRR, how much we want to pay ourselves. Like a lot of the reasons that we like chose this business to set it up the way that we did and the reason we've been working this far uh, for this long, and we're like very close to getting there. So we are kind of at a, a point now where it's like setting the next goals is something we haven't done. But I would say like the podcast does continue to be, well, it's a different person, you know, on a regular interval, like as we are now, I'm kind of talking to you about my journey of the day, journey of the month, right. journey of the quarter. Yeah, the podcast is a great tool to get insights from a lot of different people, even though it's not intentionally structured as a consulting tool. It's been at least. I mean, you know that better than I do. Yeah, in our journey, I mean, it's been like yeah. priceless. The obviously from a, from a sales perspective, I don't know if you experienced this. You probably have experienced this quite a bit, though. But so our podcast agency journey is, you know, hyper targeted towards agency owners. That's who we're selling to. That's the um, the target audience. It was wearing on me today. I was like, this, these ten commandments are starting to make sense. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if I follow those, my life would be easier. I was, yeah. it was cooking. So that, that has been profitable, be, uh, like pretty highly profitable because agency owners will get on a call and be like, I can't believe I'm talking to you. And I remember that happening in like 2016, 2017. I was like, what? Like, do you know that, you know, I've been making like 60 or $70,000 a year here for, for a while, like slaving away on this software thing and not really making any money. But, but people feel like there's a, you know, they feel like there's a, a strong relationship with you already, but the kind of hidden benefit beyond the sales that came from it, which were kind of the, the secondary effect. The hidden benefit was just getting to talk to people who were a lot farther along in their journey. And everyone had just those unique perspectives. And sometimes it was kind of direct questions and direct, hey, here's what I would take to do inbound if I were you, or here's what I would 
do differently. But more often, it was just getting to hear kind of firsthand and ask the follow-up questions that you want to ask anytime you're listening along to a podcast. That was the powerful part. So that's a really cool tool that you've got and a smart move to, to build up the podcast and to have invested this long in the pod. Yeah, thank you. I would say there probably are some people I'm just like in the moment not thinking of who do provide us like a lot of insight and advice. Yeah. Uh, and I'd say most of them have been podcast guests in the past that just you never know, like who I'm sure you you can attest to this as well, like who you randomly connect with for an interview that matures into a long term relationship where it's like you even forget that the podcast was everything that you did. Right. And who in your head is like a podcast guest like you like their kind of classification, like your head, if you're like tagging them, a database would be like podcast guest versus like friend owned. Oh, yeah, I did meet that person because we did a podcast however many years back. Right, right. Yeah. And that is, line gets blurred. It is wild how that, yeah, some some conversations stick out in your head as podcasts. And yeah, that's definitely happened to me a number of times where there have been a bunch of really good friendships that have come out of the podcast. And to think back and be like, yeah, we did a podcast. Oh, that was actually how we met. That's right. I totally forgot that. Is it funny? Exactly. Exactly. What would you say kind of any conversations from I think it's eight or nine years of the podcast that like stand out to you as like, that was one of those conversations, one of those guests that just like said something that dramatically altered the course. Uh, do you, have you ever come across Marcus Sheridan? He's big in the HubSpot ecosystem. He's a speaker uh, and also runs a, a large agency in the HubSpot ecosystem called Impact Plus. They, I guess they probably object to being called an agency today. He wrote a book called not. They Ask You Answer uh, okay. th- that has done... Um, very well. And his whole philosophy is just, hey, marketing is very, very simple. People are asking questions, show up and answer them. Everybody wants to know about price. Everybody wants to know about competition. Everybody know about, wants to know about results and you know, the pros and cons of this. And how do I make a decision about this? So just show up and answer those. And Marcus has an incredible story, but he's someone, he's been on the podcast a couple of different times, who has really inspired kind of a lot of what we've done in terms of all the content that we produce at ZenPilot should be, you know, we, we run on uh, EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Mm-hmm. And so one of the bullets in our three-year, um, on, on the vision part of this, so in our three-year vision is ZenPilot should be the number one trusted authority for agency operations. And we're, how we make money is on a small component of agency operations. It's really tightly on the uh, project management and process side and how that bleeds into the data side of what you do and your people. But aside from whether we're monetizing off of that or not, like that's the the vision that we have and every resource that we produce should be a small vote in that direction. Hey, the quality of this is so good that people should be thrilled that this is out there, whether it's free or paid. And Marcus was a big inspiration for that. There have been a number of other guests. Michael Rose, uh, he built and exited an eight they uh, built agency for about 10 years or nine years, exited it last year. Had a really good sale of this agency called Mojo Media Labs. He's been on the podcast a couple of different times, but the first time he came on was the first time I'd heard of a, he said like row work environment. And I was like, row, what are, what are we talking about here? And it was ROWE results only work environment. And he was one of the first people who was on, who was super transparent in the business and had a big passion for teaching his people always feel weird saying his people, but the people who are on the team at Mojo Media Labs, uh, more financial literacy through entrepreneurship, through business, and through the opportunity to work there. Um, so that was an inspiration and something that I want everybody who works at ZenPilot to come away with is an understanding, like everybody on the team, one of the things that we build when we work with an agency is their agency operator scorecard. And mm-hmm. 
hey, here's how we, here's the key metrics. Here's how agency business model works. Here's the key metrics. Um, every single person on the team has to go through training and understand how that works. And that's going to directly apply if they want to start a business someday, uh, if they work in any other services, businesses like this, but also there's a ton of application from that to your personal life uh, as well. And so that was, I don't know, it's, it's hard to know if that's an inspiration. Uh, it's definitely inspiring, but if that's primarily- It can be tactical, right? Yeah, inspiration, there's nothing. Yeah. Or if that's like awakening something or like giving, you know, just a way to express a desire that I already had. Uh, mm -hmm. inside sometimes I feel like I've had a lot of those moments as well where I didn't even know I was interested in this thing it turns out that I was or that I had a desire to do this but didn't see a model for doing it and so I've had a lot of conversations where somebody presented a model for something that I already wanted to do that I didn't know how to do before yeah I think on a similar note several of the most important takeaways for me from the podcast from my experience hosting has just been that like having a beat over my head several, several times to just like take this simple idea seriously. Yeah. Like it's, again, it's like scorecards. You're like the most revolutionary idea from eight years of podcasting, right? Is like scorecards. But it's like, why does it, should it be something more complicated than that? It's like, it's like everyone just needs to do, there's a couple of key things that like when are, are on track, the outcomes are on track. And that's true for the organization as a whole. And that's true for every individual within the organization. And like get that right. And everything else kind of follows. Yeah. And if all the podcast does is just keep you reminded that like this, it's just about dialing in the couple of simple things forever, then it's it, the, the goal is to, in my opinion, to find the truth and yep. to like operate based on the truth. And if the truth is simple, then great. That's honestly more of a blessing than if it's more of like a labyrinth or something right. just elaborate. It's like, it's not as exciting to like make this discovery. But it's like, is our goal to make exciting discoveries or is our goal to figure out how to be like effective operators and, and make money, at least in this domain? It's interesting in our business. So we're known most widely for our work on top of ClickUp. We're their largest and highest rated solutions partner. And so people come in knowing that and wanting to see the sexy stuff inside of the software. Like show me the craziest automation you've built or show me the wildest, whatever. And it's like, we have all that stuff. And sometimes that is good for grabbing attention. We were talking about attention and um, how do you marketing market? and yeah. And the reality is like the solution is, you know, that's, that's a piece of the solution for sure. But that's not, that's of the, of the puzzle pieces of your process. How do we do things of your habits? Does everyone do it the right and best way every time? And then the technology piece, like those advanced features inside a specific software are the least important of this entire mm -hmm. uh, equation. But, you know, the boring stuff is, you know, it takes us a while to learn, like, oh, actually, we do need that. I just finished, um, have you ever read The Great CEO Within? No, who's that one by? Uh, Matt Moshari, I think is how you oh, say Oh, the Moshari Method or whatever. He's the guy with the, he's, and his whole system is literally just a bunch of linked Google Docs. It's his yeah. entire coaching framework. It's, yeah, so he's got- It's just uh, Google Docs hyperlinked to other Google Docs. A ton of stuff out there about how he runs it. But this one, so the book was very much like um, my experience reading Traction for the first time by Gina Wickman. Mm -hmm. And even E-Myth by Michael Gerber uh, or Built to Sell by John Warlow. Like a lot of these books that have been pretty impactful in shaping a lot of my thinking. Those are all you read it and it's like, oh, this is so simple. Like I almost put them, I think I've almost put all four mm -hmm. of them down and then like, yeah, it's just, this is too simple. Like every, everybody knows this. 
And the reality is, yeah, the systems, like the solutions are not that crazy. There's certainly uh, a lot of intricacy in the details that matter a lot and that can create a lot of efficiency. But yeah, your point about scorecards, like if we don't know what numbers we're measuring, like that's always my first question for people who are trying to get the most out of ClickUp is, and there's like, hey, I can't get the dashboard that I need. It's, well, what does the dashboard need to say? Mm-hmm. And the answer most of the time is, I don't know, I'm going in there and I'm playing with the widgets and I'm trying to figure out how to get something. But yeah, I haven't put really any thought into what is that metric? What are the inputs to get it actually tracked? And then how am I going to, you know, pulling that back out is the relatively easy part once you know the software. If we can figure out what those numbers that matter are, what they should look like and how they're going to get entered in the first place. Yeah, that's been kind of an unintentional constraint of Orbit Metrics has been, you know, in terms of who that is a good fit for us to work with in terms of our initial offer has just been like data engineering and like building pipelines to facilitate reporting and visibility into data. And that's only a good solution for a type of client that has a mature operator's brain in terms of like, I understand what we need to know, like what we want to keep track of. And I just like can't get it from all these disparate tools or there's too much volume for like off the shelf stuff to do it effectively. So I just need a software engineer to like come in and build this. Whereas more often than not, just businesses aren't ready for us in the sense of like, no, we need someone to step in and be like, teach a culture of like, like teach proper analytical thinking and like data literacy to the company first. And only then was like what we do actually something they're prepared for. Or we just like be ready to meet them earlier, kind of more downstream in the funnel or upstream, uh, depending on where they are. But it's so funny. I see so many of those books the same way. Like there's a line Russell Brunson has, which is like, you have to sell people what they want, but then fulfill what they need. So it's like, you have to just do all these kind of big gimmicks to get everyone's attention to make these popping ads. And then, you know, what does Russell Brunson tell you? It's like dream 100. It's like, you want to do whatever, anything just like, come up with a list of a hundred people who do that thing and talk to them. I'm like, really? That's the whole, that's the, that's the big thing. Yeah. But it's actually what works as well. Yeah. So that's one thing I like about, and this is kind of one of my favorite religious teachings as well is, uh, so you have like the 10 commandments for agency owners to like yep. live effectively. And I'd like you to share some of those, but that's kind of one of the fundamental, uh, favorite teachings I've ever like learned from a rabbi is like, again, like in Judaism, there's technically 613 commandments, which is like right. so many and so complicated. And they're like, what if you just like in your whole life just did all the 10 commandments, just those 10. And like everyone just did those 10 things. It's like, how would the world look if people only ever committed to following those 10 rules? And it's like, it's pretty, like, it'd be pretty, yeah. pretty utopian if just the first 10, everyone was like, there's no killing. And then everyone took a day off on Saturday, no adultery, no stealing. I was like, it, it's literally just, it could be that simple. Right. And so I, I think it's like, the same thing it's like your job is just to like give people 10 basic rules it's like the first one is like if it's not in click up it didn't happen yep and literally just like if you followed that like everything else we just just do that and you're letting like your business will run more smoothly yeah i've been uh, i don't think that we do a good job right now of telling the story of the villain and the hero but in the zen pilot business model the villain is chaos like agencies are famous mm. for being we all just think that like agency life has to be chaotic. And you talk to people who've been in the agency space for 10, 15, 20 years, and there's not even a there's not even a belief that like it couldn't be chaotic in, in a lot of cases. It's like, no, this is just part of what we sign up for with agencies. Uh, and there's some element of that. I mean, we're dealing with people. It's a it's a people business. So there's some element of unknowns that will always be there and surprises that will always be there and dynamics that will always be there. 
but it doesn't have to look like the kind of chaos that it is for most teams. But, but that's the villain and the hero is clarity. Like, is everyone truly mm. on the same page? Does the executive team, the leadership team have the metrics they know they need to be able to make decisions around when to hire, how to price things, how to package things, what services to keep, what services to kill, who to promote, um, how to staff. All, all of those types of things, does the kind of account management and project management layer know what resources they have and where their projects are about to go off the tracks or aren't about to go off the tracks? And then do individual contributors have, what do I need to do in the day-to-day? What are the priorities and how do I actually get that done? And so if that's the, if the villain is chaos and the hero is clarity, having everything in one system, it doesn't matter what the system is. Obviously, you know, we're building that around ClickUp. But if everything just lived in one place, life gets 80% better, like just, just from that, you know, just using the search function. Uh, if you had it poorly architected in ClickUp and you just had everything actually live in there, you'd be in a pretty good place. You need a lot of that architecture to be able to give people the system and the mental categorization ability to be able to actually put things in there and be excited about building that habit. Um, but yeah, it's, you're exactly right. Like the simple, simple scales. Yeah, once ClickUp rolls out semantic search, I don't know if that's on the roadmap or not, but like it's got to be. Yep. If you like embed, make a vector embedding of everyone's entire workspace and then some uh, some mapping there and then create semantic search, then, then it'll really just be like, put it all in one spot and you're fine. Yeah. Yeah. That is a, a huge need. Do you have a favorite implementation of semantic search? I'm somewhat like working the best. Yeah. I think that, I mean, Basically, to solve the problem of like when it's not, I mean, it's there's so many. Like, which one's the, the favorite? So, I mean, I want us to roll it out in our own Slack. We've delivered it to one client in their Slack server, which is basically yeah. like semantic search of everything that's ever happened within Slack for their community of like 300 people. And so it's like, who said this? And it's also, it's a semantic search and it's a chatbot at the same time. Because basically, that- so it's happening through a different UI, right? There's some web app. It's native. It's a, it's a native Slack. Oh, Back cool. to uh, what, what was the thing you said about, I mean, it was like processes need to live where the work is done or something. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the chatbot, the search engine lives where the information exists, basically. Yep. So it's just a, a native Slack bot that makes a call to an external API that has access to the database that has all of the knowledge in the vectorized format. So that one's like super convenient and super, super interesting. And like as well, that same database also has recordings of all of the curriculum that's related to like all the video trainings, all of the recorded calls for this community. And so it's basically like it takes all of these dead assets because like everyone always talks about oh, there's so much value if you like go read the archives and there's so much value for you watch these old calls. I'm like, but they're not labeled, right? It's like I don't know, like wh- I don't know that you dropped a bomb of value on like March 12th of 20. 20- 21 before I even knew this thing was a thing. I'm never going to go back and watch that. But it's like, hey, is there like a point in time when someone like went on a monologue about process or someone on a monologue? Anyone does anyone in the community know EOS? Right, would be a good question. It's like, yes, actually, there was this 10 minute segment on this call two years ago where this guy went on an absolute tear about EOS, and then you watch that, and then you reach out to that guy, and then you make some progress. So that's one application that's really cool. And then I also just think like SOPs in general, like. Hey, do we have an SOP for new, like, you know, new client onboarding, right? Cause maybe you type in onboarding, but there's another word for it, which is like how the document's labeled, which is like new client starting or like yeah. launching a new client project. 
Right. And so like none of the words overlap. So the keyword based retrieval does not work. Right. Right. So semantic search is a big thing I could, I can nerd out on just, it's like so useful. It's like so mildly useful, but like so mildly useful all day, every day. It's like typing like 20 words per minute faster. It's like, it's, right. I don't know. Again, I'm not going to create a whole online course where I'm like, learn how to type 20 words per minute faster and assume I'll get all this attention for it. But like, it does make your life a lot better. It's these quality of life things that compound. And when you're sitting on a big engine of a 300 person organization, a thousand person organization, like 10 to 20% improved efficiency for all of your That's workforce huge. matters a ton. Right. Yeah. I think if you look at probably in both, I mean, in what you are, what you guys are building, there's just massive efficiency improvements that ties directly into quality of life, which ties into, you know, like there's all these downstream effects of that around if people are happier at work, that changes retention, that changes replacement costs, that changes client retention, that changes churn, that changes um, our unit economics. You know, there's a lot of downstream effects of that. What I have consistently found working with all these agencies is the potential impact of getting operations right is always undervalued. No, nobody, mm. yep. We look at the the dollars coming in and revenue, and there's especially in the agency space, because almost everyone in this field is uh, all, not all, but there's a lot of creatives, and almost everybody is an accidental owner. There's very okay. few people who built a business. And now they're on their third business and they decide to build an agency. It's not the kind of business that most people build for their like fourth or fifth ventures down the mm-hmm. road. So there's, uh, everyone gets the revenue numbers. Very few folks understand what does a healthy PL look like for an agency. So there's just a total kind of blind spot to what's possible around efficiency. And so the industry norm is a 12% profit margin. And you got folks who are thrilled to be at 20%. 20% is fine. That's a, compared to the norm, that's a very healthy agency. But there's just a lot of opportunity um, for agencies to run with a ton more efficiency. What exactly, what does that like look like in terms of, like what does operational efficiency mean? And is it like, you know, visibility into what everyone's working on on a day-to-day basis? It's like knowing how many like projects are going to be on time. Like what's the, and I love the story. I don't think I said that yet. Like the clarity versus chaos thing. Uh, yeah, that's gonna that's gonna come up. I'm gonna use that again. That's coming up. Like I'm gonna it. use that with with Sean. I'd be like clarity versus chaos. Agency life doesn't have to be chaotic. It's uh, an episode I did not too long ago with this guy Vash, who I actually have hired as a performance coach for myself. It's, he's always very big on emotional addiction that entrepreneurs have, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's an emotional addiction to chaos, right? Because it's like your sense of normalcy, your familiar state of being is chaos, and your your underlying belief is that this is chaos, right? And that also like justifies a lot of your behaviors, for example. So like if you're a stressed person and you can justify that stress because it's like, well, I chose to do this chaotic thing and it's necessary. So it's like, you just don't know what to do. And this is what, you know, the Joe Dispenza books are about, like breaking the habit of being yourself is just like a really difficult thing to do. So it's like all of a sudden, if you're being an asshole and your excuse for that is because you're stressed and your excuse for that is because agency life is inherently chaotic, it's like a whole paradigm shatter to be like, you actually are, are the kind of the only person reinforcing that belief like it's completely arbitrary yeah yeah. and then it's just a set of like you can think yourself out of the problem in terms of like okay great gray like okay it can be simple it can be smooth and then that's actually where it's like you're pretty necessary to like people to some extent like i can point the finger and kind of laugh at like the silliness of it but it is like it does happen just because people aren't equipped with the systems to like actually make the other reality 
to provide evidence for the other reality and sustain the other reality. Yeah, for sure. You asked about what efficiency looks like. And I think it's all tied to that. It's like, yeah, if we don't have a pattern of knowing or seeing what efficiency can look like, how would we know that we're missing anything or know that there's mm-hmm. a better way to do things? So the, like you think of efficiency, you think of saving time as one. And I think of it as kind of our efficiency at earning our revenue. Like how can we earn our revenue in fewer hours? That's you know, basically your delivery margin in a business. You think of an agency and kind of these three main buckets of you got to grow the business. You got to deliver. So sales and marketing is your growth, which is really making the promises that we make to our clients, keeping those promises as a function of delivery. And then you've got operations on the other end, which is just, hey, we got to keep the lights on. We're staffing people. Mm-hmm. This is people culture, HR, legal finance, that kind of stuff. So in terms of how we earn that, those delivery dollars earn and what we're getting paid for the promises that we've made, the efficiency, which is largely a function of time of doing that comes down to like, it's not like it's a going back to the simple scales mindset and simplicity. It's really a function of, um, how does work get into the system in the first place? So who's putting work into the system? Who's allowed to in 90% of agencies, there's no documented standardized game plan for how work actually gets added. Does that get added by the account managers? Does that get added by everybody as they think of things? Does it get added by project managers? Are they looking at anything when they're adding it in or are they just throwing it in? Um, and we wind up with all kinds of chaos caused by that. Um, who's holding people accountable? And do we have people, does anybody go back and look at, so we, we've done the actual work. Does anybody go actually go back and do a, a realistic post-mortem of where time went? And how do we find out who's more efficient at things and who's not? It's such a basic thing that um, if if agencies simply did that, or any any business, it's not just agencies, but agencies is what I see all day. If you just look back and looked at two different people who do the same type of work and who does it better, which you can analyze based on the type of work that it is, there's some variance there, and who does it faster, you could probably pick up 10% of efficiency in pretty much every agency just by looking at that and then getting people into who actually is proven to do good work. The best predictor of future performance is past performance. So that's one. Separately is like the whole other side, informing what we charge clients. Very few agencies are going back and looking at, here's what we charged, here's how much time we spent. If we do the math on this, you know, which clients are most profitable, which clients are least profitable. So it's kind of the second area um, to go improve. Sometimes that means we just need to charge more for it. Everything's fine. We're doing the right work. We're not as efficient as we want to, but it's just a new service line. Maybe we just need to charge more. Sometimes it means we have to find a way to do this faster and more efficiently. Uh, sometimes it means, hey, we've tried and we are not figuring this out. We just need to cut this service line altogether or outsource it somewhere else. Um, but that's kind of the second big vector. And then the third big piece is t- like the, kind of that same, the same piece of service. So the second one is clients. And the third one is, is service line. You know, should we, should we continue to offer this as a whole? If we look across all clients, when we do, you know, this reporting and dashboards work, are we making more money than when we're doing the AI work or are we not? And we're, we're willing to tolerate a lower margin on the AI work because we're learning and this is brand new and mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're figuring this out. 
So that should be an intentional decision, though, not an accidental one where uh, the number of teams that you go into and you just ask that question. And first, they have no idea and then have them guess and then actually get metrics back on it and find out that they actually had no idea. Uh, usually, they'll get you know, the most profitable one and the least profitable one. But in the middle, you know, no idea of what's costing money versus making money. Yeah, it's, again, this has been one of the cooler things for me that's validating is how little some of the advice you you're giving has changed from like that just general episode I listened to from like some years back. Yeah. Right. It's like how to make your agency more efficient. It's like, you know, reduce the amount of variables between your inputs and outputts and then actually yeah. like study those variables. And back to what you're saying or we're both saying about understanding like how people can unlock like the more peaceful way of being is just continuing to accumulate like all of these different tools. So it's like that's now a mental model I'm going to have for like I've I've heard before, right? Obviously, it's like you want to be working with a similar type of clients doing similar types of projects so that like you develop efficiencies and all of those things. Yeah. And but it's like characterizing that and being able to describe that in terms of like inputs and outputs. It's like, you know, is this a type of team where they have internal engineers or is this a type of team where we're their only engineering resource? Right. So these like an integration project where we have to just figure out how to adapt with whatever they do. Or is this a, a, like a standalone thing where we also have to like build our all of our own cloud infrastructure? And from an operations standpoint, then we also have to fit, like figure out how to manage billing for cloud versus like we just work on their cloud, all the billing, everything else is set up, and just like a million other variables, right? Do we only work on projects where we work with other engineers, or do we only work on projects where we're the entire engineering department? And right, right and so that so many examples of that, and then in terms of the outputs as well. So that's like a really helpful framework yeah. for for seeing all of that. The tighter you get, it just creates that opportunity for for your leveraged expertise business model. I mean, that's what ZenPilot mm-hmm. is. It's a leveraged expertise training consulting business where we're able to take... Have you ever read anything by David C. Baker? Wrote a book called that Business so. and Expertise. That's really good. But he makes the point, and this has been said by a bunch of people, but intelligence and expertise is really a function of pattern recognition. It points out that when kids are young and they're learning colors, you know, we're basically training them to say, hey, when you point at the blue one and you say yellow, we say, no, 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 that's not right. It's blue. And when they say blue, we say, good job. And we keep rewarding them for recognizing a pattern that, hey, this color is this color and this shape is this shape. And so why does that, that doesn't change at all um, as we get older and we're running businesses and now we're playing a different game. And that game is how can we help people consistently get results? And the more that you see similar patterns and the same type of thing, that's like that pattern recognition and the ability to say, oh, like you're struggling here in this area. Like the answer to the fact that you cannot profitably deliver Google ads is, you know, you don't have this that all the best agencies Mm -hmm. have. And if that, so the easiest way to develop that pattern recognition, you need to see enough patterns that have enough iteration. The easiest way is just to simplify the, um, the problem set and just see more similar problems more frequently. Uh, to get better yeah. answers faster. So now everyone's yeah, kind of concerned with seeing like Oops. A to Z, right? And this is where like another big thing I've consistently learned from the podcast is I just find people like yourself who have basically found, I don't know, like what letters to pick arbitrarily and like the whole let, like spectrum of all the letters, but let's like you take businesses that are at a J, take them to like a Q, right? Yeah. Or maybe like way more narrow than that, potentially. Maybe you're literally just like M to P or something. Whereas like, and someone like Alex Ramosi, right? His whole thing, as he's like, you know, with acquisition.com or whatever it is, is yeah, acquisition.com. It's all about, I got really good at taking businesses that are at $3 million, three to 10 million and taking them to 10 to 30. That's it. 
I have no yeah. interest. Don't talk to me until you're at three. And if you're already over 30, don't talk to me. It's like, but if you just happen to be at this specific band, that is exactly who I understand how to get from A to B. And so many communities have popped up just for like, because of the power of like the internet and serving like all of the people with the same problem in a very specific way. Not the problem of like, how do I grow my business? But like, how do I grow my B2B service business from 50K a month to 200K a month? Like all of those people really, 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 really similar. And just the expertise you have for them is like, and I don't know if that's the actual niche that you have correctly identified or not, but like the level of expertise you have for that specific group of people is so mind bending because it's just like, who else has talked to 2000 people in that exact same situation? Yeah, right. And I think this is only going to go further, like to go back to semantic search and the work you guys are doing around AI. The internet's what allowed has what's created the opportunity for so many niche businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, like not along that re- long tail distribution, the long tail and the long tail's just getting way longer. Uh, yes, exactly. AI. You, know, you can be niche of a niche expert, and people will be able to find you. Um, oh, I see. Where, exactly because so, of the semantic search. Yeah, it's exactly. not something that we're we're necessarily doing. Just like straight up, just like social media algorithms getting better, like semantic yeah. recommendation algorithms, basically. Yeah, as well, or yeah, something I like think, that. You know, like this business today, if you said, Hey, I'm looking, I'm only serving agencies, really only serving agencies who are, you know, uh, they, they can't just be figuring out what they do. Cause if they don't have anything good, there's no point in productizing and like really ramping up the model. They have to have something proven that they can sell and now be at the phase where they're selling it at scale. So you've got kind of like this niche of a niche and we want them to be running on top of this one specific software that at the time we picked it was very small. That type of business, I think, will be mm-hmm. uh, even easier to to create and more important to create moving forward for for distribution. Yeah, no, I think I completely agree with that. It's it's super cool. What are you doing as the CEO right now? What are you uh, focused that's on? A, that's a good question. So I'm sitting in two seats on our accountability chart right now. So what I'm trying to do is trying to get into one seat. Um, that's like the specific focus of this stage of the business. So I'm currently sitting in the integrator seat, um, which is that CEO kind of bringing together those three areas of business operations, delivery, and growth. But I'm also sitting in the head of growth seat right now. Okay. So kind of managing our marketing and our sales efforts together. That's the seat that I need to get fired from uh, first. And then ultimately I'll get fired from the integrator seat as well. But because of that, my days are split roughly 60-40 or my weeks are split roughly 60-40 right now between a growth function. So uh, key partnerships, working on marketing assets, do it like I'm going from this call to running a community presentation next for a community of agency owners. Um, uh, I've got a friend who runs and so I'll go do a presentation like that you know, once a week or, or something along those lines and occasionally in the sales process, but I'm mostly out of the day-to-day um, on that side. But if there's a referral or something. And then 40% of my time is uh, on the CEO side or the really the integrator role in EOS parlance. That is making operations work well with growth so that we're you know, profitably acquiring new customers and making those two functions work well with delivery so that we're keeping those promises and we're staying in sync around what's the, and the coolest thing in this business is all the discoveries and stuff that's happening on the delivery side of the business. It's like, hey, we just figured out how to help this agency increase efficiency by an extra 30% by this tweak, or we plugged in AI to help this this team build a lot of their processes. 
how can we take some of those things and repurpose those on the growth side? And then how does that impact our operations model and who we're hiring for? So like the AI example is a great one. Everyone gets stuck with the blank page when they're creating processes. And so for a team who's launching a new service line um, and they've got some inputs with nothing structured like a, you know, like a ClickUp template needs to wind up looking like, we built out this spreadsheet and then we took a piece of what we do with our clients. And now that's a free resource on the growth side. Shared that on LinkedIn. And Jeff, one of our team members who built it, did the, do you like these? I hate these. Personally, I hate these, but he did. It was like them. the Twitter auto DM? Yeah, same type of thing. But he did it on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. Uh, which means he got banned from his LinkedIn account or he got, you know, oh? got shut down pretty quickly. But Interesting. It was AI focused. It was process focused. It was a really cool use case. It was around ClickUp. And so it was like a thousand comments like in a day or whatever. Those things, I, I totally get that they work, but I hate doing those, uh, those types of things. Um, but we'll probably play more with that as a result. But, but that, uh, that's been a cool opportunity to take basically the expertise that's happening on the backside of keeping that promise and continuously getting better and push that back to the growth side. A question you asked me that I also have for you, who's the person that you're looking at right now, listening to in terms of like your strategic growth goals and the decisions you're facing? Yeah. I mentioned Marcus earlier, Impact Plus, I think has done a, a good job. I look at, so one of the things that we're working on rolling out is called agency operator uh, certification. And it's basically, back to what I said earlier, almost all agency owners are accidental agents. You know, they didn't set out to start, they didn't go to college to start uh, an agency or go get a formal education somewhere and how to run it. So we've got all kinds of certifications on the sales and the marketing front. Uh, there's some stuff you can get on the project management front and on the finance front. But in terms of actually running an agency, like what are the metrics I need to pay attention to? How do I decide when to hire and fire and how do I staff and how do I build process and what does gold standard look like in all those different areas? Work on building that out. So Marcus has taken the Ask You Answer, his book, and they've turned that into an entire certification and They've pivoted their whole business model from, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to do the work for all of our clients to we're going to do a consulting model and a certification model and we're going to teach people. And we see the exact same thing where the best results, there's cases where we should come in and build stuff for people, but the best results are when teams can internalize a ton of what we're, what we're bringing to the table and they know how it all runs inside and out. And that, you know, that empowers them for the long term. They don't constantly need to rely on us to go build this new thing or update this template when it changes. They need to know how to do that. So we're trying to build the same type of model. Um, and companies like EOS are an inspiration along that line. And kind of separately from that, I, I think of kind of mentors in different areas. I think of Pete Caputa at Databox and what they okay. built around the marketing arm as the type of marketing that we want to do. Not the same vein, but the same idea of I want the stars of our marketing to be our customers and our audience. So uh, you and I haven't worked together yet, but you're running an agency. You've got insights that I don't have. Your boots on the ground in an agency you know, that I'm, I'm not seeing the same way. So how can you be part of our marketing and we can just be the voice in the channel to centralize a lot of that stuff and share it out with our audience and then obviously share the best stuff that we're learning on the delivery side as well. So, and there's probably a handful of other, uh, in kind of each area, different people who I look to. Um, but that's sure. one that I respect a lot. 
those are two really solid answers into kind of the the long-term vision. I see that certification being a really interesting, really interesting play. Yeah. What is the, and this is a bit of a Googleable question, which I try to avoid asking on podcasts, but sometimes I feel like back to the accidental agency owner thing, right? To some extent, I feel like that doesn't apply to me in the sense that like we very deliberately chose this business model for a lot of its strengths in terms of like, you know, not reliance on external capital, not reliance on your own capital and just like, in same reason you chose it, like earlier in your career, this is the best way to like accumulate a huge variety of entrepreneurial skills. Yeah, no but country. exactly. I also feel like it is one of those things I did stumble into on accident or, and I'm like sometimes spending too much time on Twitter. I'm like, the world is bigger than the agency world. Like how big of like a space to play it? Like what's the market cap of like the agency world? Like when you consider that as an industry, right? Is that like on par with like manufacturing and like legal services? Or is it just like this corner of the internet that's huge because the internet's huge. But like, yep. and this, sometimes I just like, it's like a bit of a paranoid thought I have is like, I'm kind of in this bubble of the agency world, but it is a huge world, but it's also not in the scheme of like, like, should I be trying to serve some like actual top 10 biggest industries in the world type thing? Or is this like, there's plenty of room to, to swim. Uh, so market cap, I mean, if you go like have someone build a list of agencies, you know, probably come back with like 500, 600, 700,000 now, maybe like agencies. If you go segment that out and say, okay, but who's got at least three or four people on LinkedIn, then you're down to 250 ish, uh, thousand. And then if you get into kind of like our sweet spot is teams who, you know, they've hit they're the reason that you need project management is really easy with two or three people. Like you just need to go sell stuff. It's not, it's never easy, but uh, it's easier in terms of project management. And once you start adding in contractors and other folks and you get to the eight to 10 person mark, like you really need to be in some tool for sure. Uh, you should have been in before, but, but at that point you're not going to have a choice. So the market gap now we're only servicing on top of English as well. So we're looking at, Kind of in that ideal segment, probably twenty twenty five thousand firms around the world, which is plenty for what you know for us to accomplish what we're doing. Our ten year vision is five thousand agency operator certified teams, where we've taken folks who are really in your shoes and said, "Hey, a ton of people have." Been, it's not that there's no thought that's gone into selecting the business. It's there's no training into how do I build this, how do I know who to hire, mm-hmm. when to hire, how do I make decisions about what service lines to add and when to not add it and how, where do we focus attention and what numbers should be on my scorecard and uh, how do I hold a team accountable to those things? And how do I roll out processes and roll out project management in a way that creates clarity for everyone and eliminates chaos? So it's big enough for what we're doing now, uh, but certainly not, you know, there's ideas where just serving the agency space uh, does not make sense at all. Yeah, well, there's plenty of other really similarly similar dynamic companies that suck at project management that probably like the, the transfer would be quite high for what you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's been, that's been really challenging to figure out how to stay focused. So in-house marketing teams, legal zoom is a great example Mm -hmm. of, you know, in-house, a pretty good sized in-house marketing team that largely functions like a marketing agency worked with us to implement ClickUp, have had a ton of success on top of it. That's one where there's so much overlap that fits really neatly into what we're doing. It is really difficult, though, to try to stay focused and figure out, hey, where do we say yes and where do we say no? When folks who are not agencies find their way in and say, hey, I heard it from our agency or from somebody else that you're the people to talk to about ClickUp. Um, so, but 
certainly that'd be a relatively easy spinoff if we decided, because there really is a decision to be made in our business model about as we keep growing, if we want to expand that TAM, is it now we'll go service on any platform, not just ClickUp? Mm -hmm. Or is it now we'll service any type of customer? You have to still be on ClickUp, but we'll service any type of customer. Uh, and obviously right now we've gone down the path of, no, we want to be agency centric and know this business model super well and bring our value there. And ClickUp's just a, a tool that we use in that process. Yeah, I think this will be my final question because I'm really curious to have your thoughts on it, uh, especially given some of the conversation we're having in terms of like, right, niche education and certifications and like kind of just fundamental differences in society because of the internet. Like college is kind of the epitome of like the pre-internet education model. It's like really generalized, really not one-on-one, -on -one, not super clickable, not super valuable. I'm curious for you, and if this is too personal, you don't have to answer it, but like what your thoughts are on like the usefulness of college for, for your own kids even, uh, yeah. or like kind of five, 10 years from now, I don't know how old they are, but like, yep. For, it's like, cause I have a hard time thinking I'll want to send my kids to college. I understand like wanting them to like do some fun things in that period of time. I'm just going to be like, yeah. move to Ibiza and take online courses. It's like, right. it's like, what I don't know. Yeah. I don't know yet what that'll look like. I've got 10 years on a conventional timeline before our oldest is going to hit that age. I would agree with you that I have a hard time seeing, like for me, uh, and I had to work my way through college and I got some financial aid, but you know, I still wound up making and paying 80 something thousand dollars throughout college um, to go to school. And there's no way that the classes were, were, and I took some good classes, but it's not not worth it. I've been meaning to write a blog post for a long time that my college investment was worth it all by itself just for the friendship of Andrew, my mm -hmm. business partner. Like if that was the only thing that I got for the money, I would not have made that investment at the time because that would have been too cheap, but totally, totally worth it. Um, so no, I'd, I'd agree with you though. Like I want to, even, even growing up, so we're homeschooling our kids. Oh, cool. And my vision isn't that my wife and I teach the kids everything that there is to know and we're the best teachers. And that's like, that, that's not it at all. It's the opportunity to pick and choose, let them pursue what they're interested in, but also find people who are awesome at what, like if they want to know what AI and you know, my daughter's 13 or 14 or something. And she wants to know, like, I would love nothing more than to be able to say, Hey, you don't have the constraints of having to be in this classroom. So you can go work with this team that's doing, AI mm -hmm. and obviously vector databases still won't be the big thing at that point in time. But, you know, like you just go work with someone who's actually really good at it and get the practical hands-on experience. So I'd much rather have them do that, how we design that intentionally and how we try to get them to take ownership to design that intentionally for themselves is going to be the big challenge. But my guess is it probably won't look like conventional college. Okay. Yeah, Ethan uh, from our team, our AI guy, he didn't, he was homeschooled. So, and I think that's like a lot of where his brilliance came from. Is that he just like spent, you know, his entire young years where kids just have insane energy and can focus for like 12 hours a day on just random stuff, right. just like be building a brilliant engineer's mind. And he was like 10. Yeah. So it's just like, I'm super into that whole world. It's not super relevant yet since I don't have kids, but like, I can't see the, the reason I'd want to, there's certain things from it. And again, to your point of like the, again, I obviously had valuable things emerged from my experience. Yeah. Kyle, my podcast co-host is I met through the podcast and of course that's worth everything I'll put together as well. But it, in terms of like answering the question objectively for someone else in a prescriptive way, it's like there, of course, you would have done other interesting things, met other interest, like the counterfactual yeah, right. is still probably that you just like 
meet another interesting person in some other interesting way that like leads to some amazing thing. Right. And that's kind of like my defense of like, my parents are like, well, you made great friends and look at all this amazing stuff that happened. I'm like, the alternative wasn't I spent four years with my eyes shut in a dark room, right? Right. It was like, I do other interesting things with around other interesting people. But I think for that to take on as a cultural norm, this this is similar in a lot of ways to the homeschool stereotype. Well, that's also a very different question as well. It's like, I didn't ask you like, what do you think for all people? It's like, because for all people, it's like for certain people, absent any structure or like absent self-motivation yeah. or absent like sufficient i don't know what the words are just like e- even like personal project management skills like the ability to plan your own life in like a somewhat regimented way you're right. definitely better like having college than like being completely aimless yeah for just, sure like, if you think that you're gonna give a person direction that person has demonstrated direction then this path doesn't make as much sense i think we're i think we will get to a point though where uh college either has to iterate pretty aggressively or, well, I mean, we're already seeing colleges fail. Like, I'm sure that we'll see a lot more of that over the next decade or two. But we'll see a, lo- a lot more if they don't iterate. As the norm becomes, as more people get exposed to the fact that uh, people who don't go to college don't either work blue-collar jobs, like the, their options are not limited to live in their parents' basement until they're 35 or work a blue-collar job. There's actually a ton more options than that. Mm-hmm. And But right now... That's the common association in so many people's minds that, you know, out of fear of that, we push our kids to go to college still. And I think that that will change as we get more, you know, like, I don't know what your stereotype of homeschoolers was growing up, but the stereotype of uh, most of my friend group is extremely socially awkward and like maybe brilliant in one area, but just, just very, very, you know, weird is like the, the ongoing thing. And that's changed over the last 10 years and it's continuing to change with the, and has led to a huge increase in homeschooling as well. Obviously the pandemic's the, probably the biggest inflection point for it, mm-hmm. but that's changed as people had more experience with, well, this Ethan guy is actually brilliant and he's like, he's totally fine to talk to, uh, you know, like this is, there's actually enough pros of this that we'll see that. And I think we'll see the same thing with college. Amazing. I could chat about that forever. But I think we'll, we'll wrap up here. You have a ton, a ton of free resources for agency owners. I don't know how many hundreds of podcast episodes and PDFs and articles, whatever. Uh, where's kind of the best place or maybe one specific resource to direct people's attention to? Uh, anytime I'm on a podcast, I try to shout out our podcast because usually that's the best place to find new podcast listeners is other people. You got to put the podcast. resource where the work is done. Same exactly. thing. Really. So uh, if you search agency journey um, in the Apple store, that's probably the best place or zenpilot.com for any of the other free resources. Perfect. And then on social media, your Twitter, LinkedIn. Yeah. I like Twitter. I'm not good at Twitter. You're much better at Twitter than I am. Uh, and LinkedIn. I just fire from the hip. That's my whole strategy. I'm just, that's, I need thought that. comes up. Okay. Yep. But also, again, I have fewer responsibilities and fewer consequences still. So like, I, I appreciate that there's like <laughs> a bit of like, going. there's like some not accountability, but also, you know, like, I, people are I mean I have a team and I don't say anything to, too out of pocket yeah. but also you can always I mean people forget about Dana White from the UFC it's like you can still be an out of pocket CEO it's like yep. I don't have to be Mr. Boring and put the flag of the day on my profile and just accommodate whatever I'm supposed to do it's like I can wheel and deal there's right. still people out here wheeling and dealing they don't want you to think they're out there but <laughs> they're, they're still out there definitely so. true yeah awesome well, it's been super fun 